What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Now it is time for sports news for February 4th, and your reader is Clark Thibodeau. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind with other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. Men's College Basketball Transfer Scorecard Surprises, Disappointments, Standouts of 2022-2023 Jeff Borzillo, ESPN Staff Writer As the college basketball transfer portal continues to grow and in some cases become the primary way for coaches to build rosters year to year, the discussion surrounding newcomers is beginning to change. Entering last season, the elite freshmen are always the biggest talking point. For last year, it was Chet Holmgren versus Paolo Bencaro, the Memphis freshman, the emergence of Jabari Smith. This season, the strength of freshmen was prevalent. Nick Smith Jr., Cameron Whitmore, Keontae George, Duke's class, and the looming Brandon Miller breakout. As we enter the final few weeks of the 2022-2023 season, though, transfers are, by and large, making a bigger impact. When we did our freshman scorecard around Christmas, only 19 ESPN 100 recruits were averaging double figures in scoring, and 12 of them were in the top 25. That leaves very little impact for any freshman outside of high-end prospects. Of the top 100 transfers in ESPN's transfer rankings last spring, a whopping 57 are averaging in double figures. Sure, these players are older and already adapted to college basketball, and while most don't possess the ceiling of a Miller or an NBA transfer or potential of a Whitmore, transfers are showing they come with a much higher floor. Let's look at some of this season's notable impact transfers, as well as some who just haven't panned out yet. Best of the best, Keontae Johnson, Kansas State Wildcats. It really is a remarkable story. Johnson hadn't played since collapsing during a game in December 2020. He's not only picked up where he left off two years ago, he's gotten better. Johnson, averaging 18.2 points and 7.9 rebounds, is one of the reasons K-State is the biggest surprise in college basketball this season. Suli Boom, Xavier Musketeers Sean Miller won an attack-minding scoring guard in the portal last spring, and he went with Boom who notched 16 points against Miller's Arizona team in 2020. Suli has been one of the best guards in the country this season, averaging 16.1 points and 4.9 assists and shooting 44.2% from three-point range. Kendrick Davis, Memphis Tigers Davis was our number one transfer in the portal last spring, and he's lived up to the hype. He won AAC Player of the Year while at SMU, Mike could win it again this season with Memphis, as he is averaging a career-high 21.5 points, along with 6 assists and 2 steals. Bryce Hopkins, Providence Friars Hopkins showed flashes of ability during his one season at Kentucky, but he couldn't carve out a spot in the rotation. He has certainly done more than that with the Friars, averaging 16.4 points and 9 rebounds. He has 8 double-doubles this season, including a 29-point, 23-rebound effort against Marquette. 
Jake Stevens, Chattanooga Mox. When Stevens hit the portal last spring, he could have easily moved up a level. The seven-footer opted to follow his coach, Dan Earl, from VMI. Stevens' numbers are still remarkable. He averages 21.8 points, 10.2 rebounds, 3.6 assists, and 2.4 blocks, all while shooting 40.8% from three. Ricky Council IV, Arkansas Razorbacks. Eric Musselman having success with the transfer? Not a huge surprise. That doesn't make what Council is doing any less impressive. He is averaging 17.3 points, is shooting 46% from the field, and has shown he can carry the offense for stretches in the half court. Terrence Shannon Jr., Illinois Fighting Illini. Shannon dealt with a variety of issues last season at Texas Tech, from an early season suspension to nagging injuries. With those woes in his rearview mirror, he has been a consistent producer for the Fighting Illini. He is averaging 17.2 points and 5.2 rebounds, and he's fantastic down the stretch and wins over UCLA and Texas. Grant Sheerfield, Oklahoma Sooners. Sheerfield's 30 points gets Alabama on Saturday certainly helped his inclusion in this category. He started his career at Wichita State and spent two seasons in Nevada, putting up big numbers in the Mountain West. He's averaging 17 points and 3.4 assists and shooting a career-high 43.6% from three-point range in the Big 12 this season. Jameer Young, Maryland Terrapins. Young quickly put to rest any concerns over a Charlotte production not translating to College Park by scoring 24 points against Illinois in early December. He has rarely slowed down since, hitting 20-plus points in five of his past seven games, including 30 and 11 against Ohio State in January. Tyree Appleby, Wake Forest, Demon Deacons. Appleby has been a consistent scorer throughout his college career, averaging double figures in all four seasons at Cleveland State and Florida. But having the best campaign of his career in the ACC was unexpected. He's averaging 18.1 points and 6 assists. K.J. Williams, LSU Tigers. Williams followed coach Matt McMahon from Murray State to LSU, and last season's OVC Player of the Year has been one of the few bright spots for a struggling Tigers team. Despite the step up in competition, Williams is still averaging 17.2 points and 7.4 rebounds and shooting 43.2% behind the arc. Jarkel Jornier, NC State Wolfpack. Terquavion Smith receives most of the attention for the Wolfpack, but Joyner's been fantastic for Kevin Keats since arriving from Ole Miss in the spring. Joyner had four games of at least 26 points in November and December, and he's hit his stride again during NC State's recent 6-1 stretch. He's averaging 16.8 points and 3.4 assists. Norchad Omie, Miami Hurricanes. Hurricanes are a perimeter-oriented team, leaving Omer to do most of the interior work on his own. He has managed admirable thus far after winning the Sunbelt Player of the Year last season at Arkansas State. The Nicaraguan native is averaging 13.9 points and 10.3 rebounds with 10 double-doubles this campaign. Mixed bag for expected difference makers. Pete Nance, North Carolina Tar Heels. On paper, Nance seemed like a logical replacement for Brady Manick in North Carolina's lineup. In reality, it hasn't turned out that way. His numbers aren't bad at all, 10.9 points and 6 rebounds and 18 starts but the energy and toughness Manic played with at both ends of the floor has been missed.
Malachi Smith, and Zaga Bulldogs. Last season, Southern Conference Player of the Year put up huge numbers at Chattanooga, averaging nearly 20 points. He's had his moments since joining the Zags, including double figures in big games against Baylor and Alabama, but he's been used off the bench exclusively and is averaging 8.5 points. Kevin McCuller Jr., Kansas Jayhawks. McCuller's toughness and defensive ability have been huge assets to the Jayhawks, and he's been one of the better all-around transfers in the Big 12 after leaving Texas Tech. He's averaging a career-high 10.7 points and 7.8 rebounds, and is coming off three straight double-double performances. Baylor, Shireman, Creighton Blue Jays. Baylor doesn't have quite the same role offensively this season as he did at South Dakota State, but his shooting and unpredictability have added a different dimension to the Blue Jays. He's averaging 13.5 points and 8.5 rebounds, and is starting to round into form after a slow start. Tyrese Hunter, Texas Longhorns. One of the three best players in the portal last spring, Hunter stayed in the Big 12 after leaving Iowa State. His overall scoring and shooting numbers are similar to a year ago, although he struggled offensively and taken a backseat to Marcus Carr in Big 12 play. He had 13 points on Monday against Baylor, so he could be snapping out of his slump. Benefiting from a change in scenery. Blake Henson, Pittsburgh Panthers. To be more specific, Henson has benefited from simply being on the court. Last time he played was 1920 at Ole Miss, and now that he's back, he's averaging 16.4 points and 6.5 rebounds, while shooting 38.3% from three as the leading scorer for the 15-7 Panthers. Keon Brooks, Washington Huskies. Brooks started every game for Kentucky last season, but has struggled with consistency. With the Huskies, he's showing off his full arsenal, averaging 17.9 points, and 7.1 rebounds is one of the focal points of the offense. E.J. Harkless, UNLV Rebels. Last season, it was Aldondes Williams who had a huge season after leaving Oklahoma. This season, it's Harkless. The versatile six-foot-three guard is averaging 17 points, five rebounds, and three and a half assists this season, up from 10 and 1.7 a year ago. Frankie Collins, Arizona State Sun Devils. After backing up Devontae Jones, a freshman at Michigan, Collins went back out west and landed at Tempe, where he started every game for the Sun Devils. He's averaging 10.9 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 4.7 assists after posting 2.8 points and 1.4 assists last season. Khalid Moore, Fordham Rams. Moore couldn't have expected to be playing 30-plus minutes on an 18-4 Fordham team when he signed with the Rams last season the Georgia Tech transfers boosted his averages from 5.2 and 3.4 rebounds last season to 15.3 points and 6.7 rebounds this season. Mid-major breakouts. Brandon Podozimski, Santa Clara Broncos. The Illinois transfer played himself into NBA draft radars with his breakout season in the WCC. Podozimski is averaging 19 points, 8.2 rebounds, and 3 assists while shooting nearly 42% from 3. He's coming off a 38-point performance against Pacific. Imani Bates, Eastern Michigan Eagles. Bates looked much more of his old self this season, after being given plenty of freedom offensively. He's averaging better than 20 points per game, shooting 36% from three. He had one of the best individual performances of the season recently, scoring 43 points against Toledo, including 29 straight. Sam Sessoms, Coppin State Eagles. 
Sessom has been a big-time scorer everywhere he's been, starting his career at Binghamton before going to Penn State for a couple of seasons, but he's taken it to a new level at Baltimore, ranking the top 10 nationally and scoring at 21.6 points. Aziz, Vandagago, Utah Valley, Wolverines. Aziz showed promise before he arrived at Akron in 2020, but struggled to contribute in the MAC. The seven-footer from Senegal put it all together in the Utah Valley, averaging 11.5 points, 10.7 rebounds, and 2.8 blocks for the Wolverines. Austin Crowley, Southern Miss, Golden Eagles. Southern Miss is tied up top the Sun Belt. Crowley is a major reason for that success. The 6'4 guard spent three seasons at Ole Miss, playing mostly in a reserve role and never averaging more than five points in a season. This year, he's at 17.6 points. Next group, the grass isn't always greener. Tanner Holden, Ohio State Buckeyes. Holden was a first-team All-Horizon League selection at Wright State last season, averaging 20.1 points and 7.1 rebounds. At Ohio State, he's seen his minutes dwindle over the course of the season and is averaging just 4.2 points. Jalen Graham, Arkansas Razorbacks. Down the stretch last season, Graham was terrific for Arizona State, averaging 13 points and 5.5 rebounds in his last 18 games. This season, however, he's been a front-court reserve, averaging 5.0 points. That said, he started to see a bigger role in the past couple of weeks. Efton Reed, the third, Gonzaga Bulldogs. A former five-star recruit, it hasn't just clicked for Reed in college. He wasn't consistent at LSU in his freshman campaign, but is barely getting off the bench in Spokane. He has three DNPs in his past seven games and 19 total minutes in conference play. Dominic Welch, Alabama Crimson Tide. Welch has proved himself a versatile two-way player during his time at St. Bonaventure, but he's gone from averaging double figures in three seasons for the Bonnies to 1.5 points to reserve in Tuscaloosa. Kendall Coleman, LSU Tigers. Coleman averaged 15.4 points and 10 rebounds last season in Northwestern State, including big performances against top competition. The production hasn't translated to the SEC, where the 6'8 big man is averaging 2.3 points and just 2.1 rebounds. Senior Bowl buzz. Latest rumors around 2023 NFL draft, off-season moves. Multiple contributors. ESPN. Many top 2023 NFL draft prospects and potential risers stood out through three days of Senior Bowl practices this week, and a few of our top reporters and analysts were on hand on Mobile, Alabama to see the action. In addition to a close-up look at some of the top underclassmen entering the draft, however, they also had the chance to talk to people from around the NFL and college football. Every NFL team had representatives in attendance, including coaches, front office executives, and scouts. Many college coaches were in town for the event as well. Senior Bowl Executive Director Jim Nagy noted that a record 1,100 total credentials are granted to media for the week of practice in the game on Saturday. So what was the buzz around the University of South Alabama's facilities? NFL draft analyst Todd McShea, NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler, and college football reporter Pete Dammel break down what they heard and saw at the Senior Bowl, including nuggets on top prospects, teams to watch, and execs and coaches and scouts from all around the football world. Let's get into all of it. And don't forget to miss the Senior Bowl game today at 2.30. What will Chicago do with the number one pick? Fowler. Chicago Bears brought the Cavalry to Mobile with General Manager Ryan Poles, 
Coach Matt Eberflus and Assistant General Manager Ian Cunningham all in attendance. Chicago Offensive Coordinator Lou Getze is one of the Senior Bowl coaches. Teams are keeping close tabs on the Bears, who won the number one pick in April's draft. In the prevailing themes, his polls is very high on value. Despite in-season trades for linebacker Rokon Smith and edge rusher Robert Quinn, Chicago has just eight picks in the draft and only one in the top 50. Polls will li- most likely aim to change that. They still have so many needs, and a trade back, even if only one spot or a few spot, would help them, an NFL exec said. Having Justin Fields helps Chicago pass on the quarterbacks if it chooses, and the majority will believe Chicago will build around Fields in year three. But those who expect the Bears to at least consider an alternative over the next two months punctuate this point via an NFC scout. Fields proved he's a weapon, but he has a ways to go as a quarterback. The Bears must figure out if they can marry those two. McShay I've heard similar in talking to scouts and execs this week about Chicago's situation. Yes, the Bears have to figure out internally if Fields is their guy. But the opportunity they have with all those quarterback-needy teams sitting in the top 10 and wanting to trade up is tremendous. The bigger question becomes how far down the board the Bears can move and still land at a top defensive prospect. Will Alabama's Will Anderson Jr. and Georgia's Jalen Carter still be there if Chicago drops one spot to four? And at least one of them will likely be there at four if Chicago swaps picks with Indianapolis. But beyond four, who are you getting? Who's the number five quarterback in the 2023 class? Thamel. The top order of the four quarterbacks in this draft can be parsed in several ways, but few will argue with the names in the top group. There's an overriding expectation that the top four, in some order, will be Alabama's Bryce Young, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, Kentucky's Will Levis, and Florida's Anthony Richardson. That leaves the most intriguing question at football's most vexing evaluation position. Who will be number five? There's no shortage of candidates, and this week at the Senior Bowl offered little clarity. If Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker were healthy, he'd certainly lead that conversation, but his recovery from ACL surgery layers his draft status in ambiguity. He's still expected to go on day two, but his slot is projected with significant potential variance. One of the odd quirks of an underwhelming crop of Senior Bowl quarterbacks we're a long way from the likes of Josh Allen and Justin Herbert in recent years, is that it amplifies the case for Purdue's Aiden O'Connell. His strong practices at the East-West Shrine game have only helped his cause and get a boost from a good showing in Thursday's game. He's an interesting prospect as he has sudden delivery and pinpoint accuracy, but those are counterbalanced by modest physical traits that led in part to him walking on at Purdue. O'Connell ended up earning a scholarship and finishing his career with over 9,000 yards and a 66.7 completion rate while leading the Boilermakers to the Big Ten title game this season. One veteran scout said that O'Connell is distinctly better than the crop of quarterbacks throwing this week at the Senior Bowl, which include Houston's Clayton Toon, Shepard's Taysan Badgent, TCU's Max Duggan, Louisville's Malik Cunningham, Fresno State's Jay Kaner, and BYU's Jaron Hall. Another disagreed, saying O'Connell was better than most, but not all. A survey of a few scouts had O'Connell as a fringe top 100 prospect with a fourth-round floor. He's in the conversation with number five along with Hooker, Hayner, Hall, and Toon, which means one could slip into the late second round. A big game on Saturday by any of the quarterbacks in Mobile might help him usher to the forefront of that conversation with the traditional senior bowl bump. 
Don't be surprised if Hooker ends up rising as he can continue to show teams he's recovering from his torn ACL. He said this week he's on track to be ready for summer training camp after getting surgery to repair his torn ACL on December 13th. The coaches he faced the past two years are bullish on him on value. In the new age NFL, I think he definitely has the opportunity to be a really good player, said a college head coach. He could absolutely be a value. Look at what Dak Prescott did as a fourth rounder. If you take Hooker in the third round, you could end up with a quality starter. Who's the top quarterback in Mobile? McShay, I was really impressed all week with Fresno State's Hayner. Multiple evaluators I spoke to said he was clearly the best quarterback at the Senior Bowl. Entering the week, a lot of teams had Hayner and BYU's Hall neck and neck, but Hayner really stood out. He was in control despite being undersized at six foot and 208 pounds, and he showed no fear. He anticipates and moves well, and his confidence was noticeable. After the week of practices, Hayner is my QB6 and a day two prospect behind Tennessee's hooker. And frankly, I don't know there's another day two quarterback in this group. Fowler. With a weak senior bowl quarterback class, teens I've spoken to were intrigued by Houston's tune as well. They noted his decision making was solid all week. Hall bounced back after a rough first day, and I'm told he's dealing with a high ankle sprain, but has toughed it out. Will Jackson return to Baltimore? Fowler, quarterback Lamar Jackson's future was a convenient talking point in Mobile, and most are in the same spot they were in six months ago. Most believe the Baltimore Ravens should place the exclusive franchise tag on Jackson and try to work out a long-term deal, knowing he's secured for one more year. And if it becomes clear that reaching a new contract is next to impossible, the Ravens can entertain trade offers closer to the draft. And if could become a standoff because I wouldn't expect them to sign the tag for a while, an AFC exec said, and they'll be so far apart in the guaranteed money. Yes, Baltimore and Jackson could possibly be $100 million apart there, a massive gap to bridge. Those trade calls are coming. I don't get the sense that the process is heated up in part because teams are assuming that Jackson will be tagged. It's still very early on this one. Elsewhere, the Ravens typically don't take big swings at wide receiver and free agency but I talked to a few coaches in Mobile who think Baltimore should add a pass catcher in large part because his top two wideouts, Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay, are coming off an injury. The Ravens need fresh legs, and a do-it-all receiver like Alan Lazard would be a nice fit. Is a Rodgers trade really possible? Fowler. Aaron Rodgers' year-to-year approach playing could complicate trade talks for the Green Bay Packers, several execs say. It's hard to trade hefty capital for just one year of Rodgers. Teams would prefer at least two seasons with him. One NFC exec floated a solution. Green Bay could make the draft picks conditional, with a sliding scale based on how long Rodgers plays. For example, a second-round pick turns into a first-rounder if Rodgers doesn't retire after one year. It would take out some of the guesswork. What's becoming clear is a trade feels more possible than ever. Backup quarterback Jordan Love is ready to play after three seasons in the shadows, and the Packers are comfortable with his development. The New York Jets come up a lot when talking with teams about the pursuit of Rodgers, and that feeling is that New York will at least try to make something happen. But the Las Vegas Raiders have the Devontae Adams connection to pitch. Rodgers was his quarterback for eight, for a year, or eight, for eight years, and they were close when it counted, and money talks. Nevada is a tax-free state source close to Adam said. 
What is Atlanta's plan under center? Fowler. As the Atlanta Falcons evaluate their options at quarterback, a few themes have emerged. They like Desmond Ritter's four-game stretch. His numbers were modest, with 708 yards and two touchdown passes to zero interceptions. But that last statistic is significant. He's definitely an option to consider. Lamar Jackson to the Falcons would be a great story, but someone with the team pointed out that Atlanta spent three years getting out of salary cap purgatory and now sits on an estimated $56 million in space. Not that the Falcons couldn't use that on a high-profile quarterback, but giving up multiple first-round picks for the right to spend $200-plus million isn't something Atlanta would be overly eager to do unless absolutely needed. One league personnel evaluator had a good suggested fit for Atlanta, Jimmy Garoppolo. A bridge starter with QB1 upside, Garoppolo would get shades of the Niners' Kyle Shanahan offense with the Falcons, thanks to Arthur Smith's lean on the run on play action, and Garoppolo would come at a reasonable financial clip. How would the car saga play out in Vegas? Fowler, a league exec, openly wondered this week whether the Raiders would cut Derek Carr before he participates in the Pro Bowl flag football game on Sunday, since an injury there could trigger a $40.1 million guarantee early. The money, based on a 2023-2024 salary, officially locks in February 15th. Carr said earlier this week he wasn't going to extend that trigger date to give Vegas more time. Pro Bowl aside, I get the sense that some teams really want to rework his deal to facilitate a trade, possibly spreading that guarantee over multiple years. The Raiders are trying to control the trade and hasn't given Carr, who has a no-trade clause, permission to shop his services. Watch out for the New Orleans Saints here. A Carr-Saints connection was buzzing a bit in Mobile, and they could be a suitor. New Orleans has a first and second round pick from the Sean Payton deal, and head coach Dennis Allen coached Carr during his rookie year in Oakland. Who were the biggest risers of the week? Thamel. About 200 yards up the hill from Senior Bowl practices at Hancock-Whitney Stadium in Mobile lie the South Alabama football offices. As former Tulane star tailback, Tyshay Spears sped through defenses in practice this week and showcased burst and suddenness, the Jaguars' defensive staff issued deep exhales. South Alabama opens next season at Tulane on September 2nd, a sneaky good game between two Group of Five teams from 2022. That means the South Alabama staff, coming off a 10-3 season, has been consuming plenty of film of Tulane, who won the AAC and outraced USC in the Cotton Bowl. Thank God Tajay Spears isn't playing for Tulane next year, South Alabama coach Kane Womax told ESPN with a laugh. Spears shined throughout his career with the Wave, rushing for 2,910 yards over four years. He particularly dominated his finishing kick. He torched USC in the Cotton Bowl for 205 carry or yards on 17 carries, including four touchdowns. In the AAC title game at UCF, he rushed for 199 yards on 22 carries. Womack saw a runner whose edge and motor transcended his 5'10", 204-pound frame. He's got elite vision, a low center of gravity, and he has the trait where you see guys at the running back position that play with an expectation said, there's this threshold of, are you above the line or below the line in terms of overall talent? But that can come in all sizes, big guys, small guys, fast, strong, whatever. But you see a guy that plays with an expectation, and I think you see that in a USC game that he's got that expectation. And I think that makes you a different level back. McShay, I pulled a bunch of execs, coaches, and scouts over the course of the week on the biggest risers based off practices. 
The same names kept popping up no matter who I talked to. The Brown twins from Illinois received a lot of buzz. Running back Chase Brown is the better prospect and we drafted higher, but safety Sidney Brown looked really good all week long. An AFC exec told me they'll be both probably be un- underdrafted and will look back at this class in three years and wonder why they weren't picked higher. He said he'd absolutely want both of those guys on his team. Two scouts called out Iowa cornerback Riley Moss, who looks smooth in coverage. This wraps it up for Sports News. Your reader has been Clark Kibito. Thank you for listening. Now please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio I. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.